Hello, I'm Laura Hamilton. Welcome to Book Larder Podcast, where we share author talks from the kitchen of Seattle's Community Cookbook Shop. Most weeks, I sit down and make a meal plan for the week. I get out a calendar that is just for this purpose. I look at everyone in the family schedule. I plan the nights I'll cook, what I'll make, the nights we might go out or have takeout. I make a shopping list. I go to the grocery store. Some weeks, I stick to that plan, and it's great. And others, well, let's just say the takeout nights might happen a little more often than expected. My hit-or-miss approach means I'm always looking for strategies to make dinner nights easier. The kinds of tips and tricks and simple recipes that Sarah Copeland offers in her latest book, Every Day is Saturday. In Sarah's home, Saturdays are full of good food and family. And her book shows you how to carry that feeling to any day of the week. She visited the Book Larder Kitchen in June 2019, where she was in conversation with Seattle-based author and photographer Aaron Goyaga. Here's Sarah Copeland, and every day is Saturday. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to Seattle. Thank you. It's so good to be here. You haven't been here in I think it's been ten almost years? ten years. Oh my gosh. Well, congratulations on your new book. Thank you so much. It's so beautiful. I was sitting with it last night, getting ready for this, and um, I have post-its all over mine. <laughs> I was reading the stories and I feel like it's so comprehensive. It's very practical. It has all these, I don't want to call them menu planning, but lots of tips to strategies. strategies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what the subtitle is. It's been seven years since your last book. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about the journey in those seven years? Yeah. So in case you don't know, my first book is called The Newlywed Cookbook. And that book just very briefly came about because I went, um, I sort of took a risk on myself I had been cooking and working at the Food Network and private chefing and doing lots of chefing, food styling jobs. But I really thought of myself first and foremost as a writer. And I thought, I want to be published. And I had been published in a lot of magazines at that point, but I really wanted to be a published author of a book. And I didn't really know that I wanted it to be a cookbook. I just wanted to write a book. So when I met my editor, I, um, I took a risk and invested in myself when I went to the Greenbrier Food Writers Workshop. And I met my editor, Bill LeBlanc, who was like a very iconic cookbook author at the time. He's now retired, but he was with Chronicle Books. And the first book is called The Newlywed Cookbook. And the idea actually came from Bill. And he said, I love the way you write. I love the way you write about your husband and what you love to feed him. And I, you know, it's kind of like blushing, like that's so geeky. Like I, but I was a newlywed. And I had this little blog that literally like five people read, including my mom. Um, not, nothing like Aaron's, you know, where like everybody knows and reads it. Um, so I was amazed that anyone had even read it. And so that turned into the New Lord Cookbook. But when he first suggested the idea to me, I thought, oh, well, that's not what I had in my head mm-hmm. for like a book that I would write. That seems kind of like sweet and kind of precious. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I started writing it, it just completely flew out of me. I just it, it, like sat down in two weeks, wrote the proposal. I wrote a list of recipes and they were everything. I was super excited to be feeding um, my husband and my, my friends. So that book was very easy to write. My second book called Feast, which is a vegetarian cookbook, was harder to write because, number one, I became a mother in the meantime, and it was a niche audience. And so I knew less about my audience in that case, but I was still really devoted to that book. I love the book. It's really beautiful. But then after I wrote that, 
frankly, when you write a book, as you know, mm -hmm. or you blog, or you do a lot of Instagram and you do events, you give a lot of yourself. And in the meantime, I started feeling like, what it would it be like to just have a job, like a regular job, and go and work like a nine to five? And I was just kind of toying with that idea. And Real Simple Magazine, um, the director of HR there at, the, at Time Inc. called me and said, we have this really interesting job and it seems like you're very happy doing your own thing, but would you ever consider? Mm -hmm. And I just came and it was like a perfect storm. Like, you know, it was photography and writing and directing a team and revamping the whole magazine, it, not the whole magazine, the food section, visually working with some of the best photographers in New York and in the world, including Gentle and Hires, who shot my book. Um, and so it was kind of everything I wanted. And it also had the, the benefit of being like a job that I could turn off. You know, I always was so passionate about food and writing. And we'd be on vacation and my husband would sort of be like, it's always, you're always on, you're always collecting ideas, you're always taking photos. We can, let's, let's just relax. So in that job, I was able to go there and work all day and turn off my computer at 5.30 and run and get my daughter and kind of like turn my brain off. But what happened was, that like shifted my whole way of operating. And I found that I was sort of like losing touch with how passionate I was about home cooking. It was both the grind of commuting, which I had never really done before. Because you were in New York City at the time. I was in New York City and we lived in Queens and I would go to Midtown and to this beautiful office and have these really dynamic, creative days with this amazing team that I loved. And like I loved cooking with them and eating with them. And shoot days were, of course, the most inspiring. Mm -hmm. But then I would go home and be kind of lackluster in terms of how can I feed my own family. And so all of a sudden it was this thing of, oh, this is what people are talking about. This is why they're saying it's hard to come up with ideas. I'd never had trouble coming up with ideas for what to feed my family or my friends or opening my home always just seemed easy and fun. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden I was like, oh, this is what people are talking about and this is what people are talking about, like Sunday night blues, like a Monday morning. You know, when you work from home, Monday and Tuesday and Friday are kind of all yeah. the same. Yeah. I always worked. I worked on the weekends, but I didn't mind because it was work I loved. But all of a sudden I was like, oh, Monday. Like. And so that's why there was that huge gap. Because I, I, for that minute, I thought, maybe I don't want to write cookbooks anymore. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm like all done. Maybe I came up with all my best ideas and I shared them and I'm done. Which is, of course, a terrifying thought. Because this is what I love. Yeah, you identify with it. But it's also, you're kind of compartmentalizing. Right. Like your work life and your home life. And then once you're done with one, you commute. Right. And then you're like, I have no right. more to give. And then it never happened because it was always so blended. And now, yeah. now that I have left the magazine and wrote the book and I'm working from home again, it's all very blended again. And so in that time, what I started doing was just super cherishing weekends, like most people do, in a way that I never had in my adult life before, like time with my kids. Along the way, I had a son. So time with both of my kids, like, and also time to cook and all the things that we normally do, even on the weekday. I mean, we had even when we lived in the city, we had this fantastic farmer's market, literally three steps outside of our door. It was, it was on our block, and it was every Wednesday morning. So, like, you know, we had great shops. We had great restaurants. I had all the tools to be a great cook like I always had been, but I didn't have the time and the energy. And, mm -hmm. and I realized, oh, my gosh, people all over feel this way. Mm -hmm. They want to eat well. They look at Instagram, and they're like, yeah, that looks amazing, and they look at you know, cookbooks, but they're like coffee table books. Mm -hmm. They're like, that's beautiful. And I actually wrote about this. I picked up one of Diana Henry's books, who I adore her. I picked it up and I was like, yeah, I can't wait to cook like this for my kids when they're older. And then I was like, why would I, why would I say that? I mean, I'm a professional chef. Yeah. 
I'm a cookbook author of two books and I have all these great recipes that were produced every week. Why would I say that? So then what are other people saying? And that's when there was kind of this aha, like, I can help. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was inspired by having to figure it out while we were in the city. So we, we ended up getting a weekend house and going away on weekends. And I think, one, it was leaving the city and being in a quieter place, but also kind of being out of the routine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't obviously don't think you need to do that. I think, I think you can create that, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, um, like you have a garden where it's your quiet space or, you know, may, maybe there's like a room in your house. We lived in a very teeny studio apartment, so there was no other place to go. So that's why we... It was very small for three people. So that's why our other place became somewhere literally out of the city. But I think there are other ways to create that. And so when I would go there, it was like, oh, my gosh, farmer's market. And everything just got really exciting again. You know, it was just like I had a new palette of ideas all of a sudden. And the way I was starting to cook there was different than I'd ever cooked before. Everything was always, everything was a la minute, you know, restaurant Mm -hmm. style, the way that you learn in culinary school or the way you're taught. The very best has been, it's fresh and it's been made in the last few minutes. And so the idea of like the way maybe some of our parents would have cooked, like, mm-hmm. you know, make a lasagna and make a big batch of it and, and then like freeze some of it, that just never appealed to me. So it's like whenever you would see strategies or meal planning, I, I, I don't want to have food that was cooked a few days ago. I, I didn't want to mm-hmm. think that way. I wanted to be able to eat the same way. But what was the fix for that? But then I started thinking like, well, but if I make a big pork shoulder and it's actually better mm-hmm. tomorrow... And then I'm going to make tacos, and it's going to be so amazing. I'm going to make this delicious green sauce and tuck that in the fridge. But then two days from now, the pork is even better, and, you know, I can stuff it in something. I could put it in a sandwich. I could put it over pasta for the kids. Uh, But the green sauce is still hanging around, and that's good on everything. You know, so it was kind of these – it was tapping back into both the restaurant mentality of, like, you always have a sauce. You always have a pickled onion. And also the plan-ahead mentality that I hadn't really – Mastered. I hadn't figured out how that could be, how you could make a head and still have it taste fresh. And that evolution of doing that on the weekends, mm-hmm. because we would go out there and I'd make things and I'd be like, do I take this back with me? Do I leave it here? Will it still be good next weekend? Figuring out all those mm-hmm. things in real time led me to writing the mm-hmm. book. That's my favorite. What do you do with all the bits? Right. So there's a, if you have leftover pork shoulder, if you have leftover dairy or if you have cream or whatever, like cheese, all these, or, cheese yeah. all these little things, ideas of where to put them in. That's so funny because yeah. that's, I think that's something really hard to harness and teach is, is like, like impromptu intuitive cooking yeah. that if you love to cook, you kind of have. So my dad always jokes that when I was in high school, we had an open campus and a lot of the kids wanted to go to, you know, Taco Bell or Little mm-hmm. Caesars Pizza or whatever. And I was like, could not eat that every day. So we lived five minutes. And my best friend and I and another friend would leave during lunch. And we would just drive five minutes to my parents' house. And my, if my dad was happened to be home, if it was his day off or something, he'd be like, oh, honey, there's nothing to eat here. I'm like, oh, sure, sure. I'll open the fridge and it would just be like random things. And he always says that no matter how lean they thought the refrigerator is, I would just make something for the four mm-hmm. of us. We would eat, and then we'd go back to school. And it was at least good enough that they would want to come back the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have no memory of what mm-hmm. I was making. My dad always tells that story. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that I did that. I don't remember what I was making. But I look in the fridge, and I see, like, you know, my, my dad or even my mom would see a list of random ingredients, and I see, like, lunch. And so that, it's how can you teach that? I want to kind of go back to you moving from the city to upstate. It seems you guys have this charmed life up there, like upstate New York, like you're in almost permanent 
vacation or uh-huh. a weekend? Like it's like every day is a weekend up there? Is yeah, that, it's, it's it a little feels? bit true. And so when we first, you know, for years, for like around six or seven years, we were going there on the weekend. We just bought this dinky little, it was like the least expensive house you could buy in this old European feeling village, this little teeny one strip village. It was like all these big stone houses in this little carriage house. We're like that, we can get that yeah. one. So we would go there and it was kind of really, you know, not that nice. So we would weekend by weekend, my husband would be kind of diving in and renovating and I would be cooking. And so it's like been a very hard earned charm life. Like it really is quite lovely, but it's been like a very slow process of peeling back the layers of, of disrepair. And I love to garden. So, you know, for me, it was planting, you know, blackberries and raspberries and blueberries weekend by weekend to the point now we have like a bramble in the back and mm-hmm. six or seven, you know, fruit trees that are now, now that I'm gone all summer, book terrain are like, I got home and I'm like, oh no, they're getting diseases. Like they've always been so perfect and beautiful. And now I'm like, oh guys, can you deal with this while I'm gone? They're like, no, 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 no thanks. The simple thing is, is really that the very beginning of when we first moved there permanently, we were on maternity, I was on maternity leave with my son and we were like, let's just spend four months up there on maternity leave and then we'll figure it out. And the figure out was like, we're not leaving. Yeah. But the true thing is, is we did eat like it was the weekend and then it just kind of extended. And so there was kind of a reverse learning curve. It's like every day is Saturday, but then we were like, oh, well, we can't have croissants every day. Like That's <laughs> not going to work out. So I had to say to my husband, like, this isn't weekending anymore. This is real life. Like we have to mm-hmm. grow up. And, and so this book actually, as I was writing it, was sort of once we got over that hump. Because, you know, it's a great idea to be like free and loose and mm-hmm. indulgent. But then the practicality is like both from the health point of view and also responsibility point of view. Like, you know, as my kids get older and as things heat up with my work more and more, even though, yes, I can walk my kids to school and we live in this tiny village and that's very sweet. I always say we moved, like I live in the place I want to live, but we're still not quite living at the pace I'd like to live. It seems very slow, but just like any family, it's like it feels grueling, you know, sometimes that we're, you know, there's the mad dash to do breakfast and pack lunches and get all the emails answered before school's out. And so there's still that. Of course, but even the food, like sort of the cooking perspective feels very much like you have space up there. Yes. And you have all your friends up there. Yes. And they're a big part of this book. At the very beginning, when we, we were just first making friends and opening up our doors and inviting people in, I would cook like, you know, huge meals and huge feasts. And then we only had one child and she was two and she was very easy and you know, that was totally attainable. And then all of a sudden, like, they would reciprocate and make these big, beautiful meals. And it turns out, oh, well, we find out this, you know, our friend Tate makes his own beer and makes his own bread. And, you know, my friend Chris is a chef. Like, there are a lot of people who kind of dabble or are serious about food. And that's really kind of our community up there. Mm -hmm. But after a while, we started having more kids and people started buying brick and mortar businesses and we got more and more busy. And then suddenly we're like, oh my gosh, potluck. How how come we've been cooking each other like these five course feasts and everyone's exhausted and it's like, whose turn is it now? And nobody said anything. And then we're like, oh, we can make a potluck, you know? And it's like these ideas that of course we didn't make up, but when they come to you and you suddenly realize your life just got easier, I think that's what's fun about this book to me. It's like, it's, you know, I didn't invent this whole concept. It's just like saying, you know, it's my opportunity to say, hey guys, it doesn't have to be as hard as we're making it. And I think, that, again, that's that's kind of part of the mood of this book. For me, like you were saying, you know, there's this gap in writing the third book. Is this one feels like a coming home? This mm-hmm. is my very best life. It's me being totally, totally accepting 
the good and the challenge that is the current state of our life. Small house, two busy kids, two small businesses we run from the house, you know, lots going on all the time and being totally on board with that. Whereas, you know, when you're younger or maybe when I was even writing my second book, Mm -hmm. um, which is a vegetarian book and, you know, I'm like, I'm vegetarian. And then all of a sudden I'm like, but I don't want to be vegetarian anymore. Like after like a few years. So this is kind of a, everything's okay. Wherever you are in your life, wherever you are in your food choices, wherever you are in your family life, like there's, there's a way to kind of welcome that part of your life in. We have known each other online for a while, but I haven't really spent that much time with you. Today was the first time that we actually like spent a whole whole day. day. Yeah. There's such abundance to your personality. Like, I feel like you just want to hug everybody and just, like, (laughs) have everyone at your table and feed everyone. But you say something in the beginning of the book that is that you acknowledge that you can't, even though you seem like you have this beautiful family and house upstate and your husband is a, you know, woodworker and this, like, sort of charmed life that you know that you cannot have everything at once. Right. But that you should allow yourself to have an abundant life. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what an abundant life is to you. That's such a good question. Well, my dad always said to us, you can have anything you want, but you can't have everything you want, at least not at the same time. And that was such good advice because I have two sisters and we're known among our husbands to kind of want it all, you know, like, like let's go on vacation this year and Oh, let's renovate the kitchen. They're like, would you like to go on vacation or would you like to renovate the kitchen? I'm like, let's do both. <laughs> and then there's always like the reality check. I think for me though, like the real abundance is, is friendships, is community. Like that's something that I worked really hard on when we lived in the, in the city, in the New York City. <laughs> and, you know, I certainly had very good friends, but it wasn't like they were in my neighborhood. It was like such hard work, you know, mm-hmm. it was such hard work. But the abundance of truly good friends where, you know, someone gets sick and you bring them a meal and a new baby is born and there's lots of people to hold that baby for you. Like, to me, community and and friendship where you know truly you can ask someone for help and count on them, that's abundance. Being able to have my garden. I mean, I talk about my garden all the time because I'm such an old lady. But I love my garden. I, I mean, I always had a community garden in New York City. But, again, it was just everything was such hard work. It was like... I think the abundance for me is feeling like there's more of a flow. Like it, it can come in and out and you're, it's so much easier to give and just totally freely release everything. And then it just comes back, you know, and obviously that's such a philosophy that I think I was raised with, but, but when you live a really intense city life and you have a demanding job or lots of people asking things of you and you haven't, like, at the, like I talk about in the beginning of the book, I wasn't able to open my doors, even though that's my very favorite thing to do, because I was feeling this, like, we're barely making it here, you know? Like, I can barely get, like, tortellini with peas on the table for for our daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, And actually, I had a really a friend that I adore, and she's single, and she lives in this, like, beautiful studio apartment, and she wanted to do a book together, an entertaining book together. And I was like, I don't think I can authentically do that right now Mm -hmm. because I'm not opening my doors Mm -hmm. enough. Like, I I love the idea of it. And now I actually do. Now it's like, you know, the neighbors over the fence. I'm like, come over and make pancakes, you know. And then all of a sudden there's 12 kids in the yard. I'm like, what did I do? What did I, why did I say that? You know. But, did you grow up in a family that was very bustling? No. I, well, I'm one of four kids. Ironically, though, my family was very insular. We had our best friends across the street, and they also had four kids. So, like, eight of us were always kind of together. 
my parents didn't entertain a lot at home. And in fact, when we did, um, mom, if you're listening, sorry, but when we did, there was like a panic and it was like, oh my gosh, clean up everything. You know, it was like kind of a panic. And, um, and I think what really influenced me was I, I lived for one semester in Paris and I had, mm-hmm. my roommate was from, from Norway, but he had lived in Paris for a long time. And I was like 22 or 23 and I'd gotten this scholarship. They just like gave me $5,000 to go live in Paris. I'm like, I was totally self-directed. It was kind of great. But meeting his friends, his like young Parisian friends, and they would be like, oh, we're coming over for dinner. And I would be like, oh my gosh. And I had already gone to culinary school. So I kind of took it seriously, but I hadn't, I don't think I'd have, I don't think I'd have my job as a private chef yet, but I was sort of like thinking, okay, if we're opening our doors and we're having people over for dinner, we got to get our act together. And he'd be like, no, no, it's fine. Everyone will bring something. Let's get some charcuterie, run to the store, get some cheese. And it was just like always very loose. Nobody was uptight about it. Nobody felt like they had to impress anyone. And I think that's very American that we need Mm -hmm. to kind of like put on a little show. I always like to like, like we're having, we're cooking together tomorrow. And Aaron was saying, you know, it's okay. These are friends. Like, it's okay if we're not done when people come. And all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I didn't say anything to you in that moment, but I was like, my instinct still is from my upbringing. It's like, no, I should be done. And it should be like, ta-da. And my experience though tells me in like your good natured, mm-hmm. like, it'll be fine. And those experiences of being like, it is fine. It's totally fine. And everybody's kind of thrilled that it's not so perfect. Mm-hmm. And that you were like, here, please yeah. chop this up. I used to have a really hard time releasing those things. You know, I'd be like, but not like that, you know? <laughs> and, and now I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's good. That's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Nobody's taking a photo. Like, it doesn't have to be perfect. I have a hard time with that, too, by right? the way. Right? It's, it's <laughs> yes, a little bit hard when, like, your job is to take beautiful photos of food and make it look. We have to remember, why are we inviting people over? So I think the food, even though it is the perfect excuse, sometimes it's, conse- you know, it's sort of, like, consequential. Yeah, it, you're it right. It shouldn't be, I like having a little bit of a role if I go to someone else's house. I'm more relaxed because I have something to do. And especially if you see that your host is like a little bit frazzled or whatever and and they give you a job and you're like, number one, I help them. Number two, like it kind of takes the, they're kind of off the stage all of a sudden because everyone's then helping, you know? And I, I think some of my most memorable meals with this community that you're talking about upstate has been like when, especially like if a friend of mine who I consider really put together and like really on top of it, asks me for help and starts like grabbing people and like come over here like I have this one friend she throws this big beautiful birthday party and then it's kind of all perfect but then we have like an after party and at that moment the really close friends stick around and everybody's gone home and she'll just okay you grill this you do this and all of a sudden there's like nine people in the kitchen and it's, it's like she's saying, it's okay that I didn't provide this. It's okay that we provided this for mm-hmm. each other. And once everyone's comfortable with that, those are your real friends. Yeah. I'm more interested in the conversation that happens while we're eating or while we're cooking than, oh, this is, you know, yeah. I mean, I want to eat good food. Totally, of course. Uh, and I want people who care about it. But yeah. um, more sort of the intimacy conversation and right. getting in touch with people. Yeah. What would you make in the summer? Let's say you're going back home now and you have some friends coming over. Um, well, my husband's vegetarian. So I'll do, if there's going to be a lot of kids and like specific friends who love me and love the way I cook me, because when we first met, I was like, yeah, that's cool. I, I don't really like love meat that much, but I'm, but I can cook like a really good steak, just so you know. And he's like, 
It like means nothing to me. I'm like, but that's weird because most guys would be like, oh, really? You can't. I mean, you know, I was like young 20s and I was like, that's so not interesting to you at all. And I just like needed him to know that I could and he couldn't care less. And I'm like, yeah, but I like, was a private chef in San Tropez. Like I once cooked this huge like side of beef on a live fire, like on the waterfront in San Tropez. Nothing could care less. Anyway, so I think the meat is like something I, I almost always cook mostly vegetarian. And then if there's going to be a lot of kids and real meat lovers, I'll do like the pork shoulder or steak or whatever. But I'm such a salad person. Mm. I love a composed salad. So, I mean, basically we're cooking together tomorrow, probably almost everything that we're making. I mean, I just, I love like a a really leafy green salad with tons of chunky vegetables. I have this book and a recipe in the book called Greek Salad, Sort of. And, you know, I lived in a Greek neighborhood at the very end. And, of course, everybody's had Greek salad. But when you go to Greece, it's not what you get here. It's not like it doesn't usually have so many of the things that we have here. Mm -hmm. And there it's just, like, loose and broken. And, like, the chunks of feta are enormous. And there's just, like, sometimes there's, like, really interesting greens in it. And so I just kind of tweak that formula constantly just with whatever we have from the CSA. So I would mm-hmm. probably do, like, we're big cucumber fans. So I would mm-hmm. do, like, cucumbers and maybe peaches and yellow tomatoes and feta and mm-hmm. olive oil. My garden is, like, totally my muse, not just for the flavors but also the textures. I worked for um, Peter, Savoy, uh, Peter Hoffman at Savoy Restaurant mm-hmm. in New York City back when there weren't, you know, there were just, like, a few people doing farm-to-table at that time, and he would ride his bike to the farmer's market with this huge basket mm-hmm. and load up. And I was just a little Comey cook there. And the food that he served for his guests, his paying guests, and the food that he served us for family mm-hmm. meal was the same. And that was such a revelation for me. He would just scramble. Like, obviously, it was a little fancier presentation at the restaurant. But for us, it would be the same quality of ingredients. So we, we would get a farmer's market salad. We would get the farmer's market bread. And he'd scramble eggs and make a big salad and bread and chive blossoms and just, like, texture galore. And it was, like, things that you wouldn't have ever thought. Why, why mm-hmm. would you be eating scrambled eggs and salad? But it's actually delicious mm-hmm. when it kind of all gets on your plate. So I'm always interested in, like, the mingling mm-hmm. of textures. And I think for me, like, it's hard for me to do my work or write a book or whatever away from my garden. And, like, even when I do events in New York City, I bring, like, all these potted yeah. herbs with me, and I'm, like, showing up with my potted herbs because the, the flowers sometimes are more delicate. Like, I don't love basil, actually, but I love, like, the little tips when they flower. They're very, this is, like, a very subtle basil flavor. There's no licorice. It's just, like, very subtle. Or a chive can be very strong, but a chive blossom mm-hmm. is just, like, a delicate mm-hmm. little version of it. Yeah. So I let all my, I mean, a real, like, a true gardener would be like, oh, Lord, everything's flowering. She's let it all go to, you know, crazy <laughs> Um, but those are, like, my favorite yeah. things. Yeah. This is not a book, I don't think that it would be considered, like, a wellness book. But I think it's super, can I say yeah. healthy? healthy? Sometimes yeah. healthy has, like, a no, you connotation. Know but I'm glad you said that because, actually, the New York Times called this one of their favorite spring books, which was very, very, very flattering. And the editor who wrote about it said that, I can't remember her exact quote, so I'm sorry I'm butchering it, but she said, like, if you're looking for, like, healthy family cookbook. And it was so interesting in that context because I'm like, that's just the way we eat. I mean, Mm -hmm. I have a background and I studied at the um, Institute for Integrative Nutrition. And growing up, I thought I wanted to be a physician. My dad is a physician. And I think, number one, I wanted to be like him. But number two, I really wanted to help people heal. Mm -hmm. And what I figured out that for me, it's not the after we've kind of messed up, fix it. It's the how do we get to a place of health Mm -hmm. 
inside a place of like joy and abundance and deliciousness, like mm-hmm. that that's all wrapped up in one. I have often thought that like my next book would be very health forward, mm-hmm. but I think what I'm good at is bringing people along for the ride and not being mm-hmm. like, you have to go all in with like bee pollen. Let's do this, you know, yeah. <laughs> because my parents are like, thank you for buying all those beautiful grains when you were home. And they've just been sitting in the pantry for an entire year until you came home again. And that kind of breaks my heart. It's like expensive. They're delicious and healthy and beautiful, but they can be alienating all at once. Mm-hmm. And so I think my way to kind of bring people along, it's like a gateway. It's mm-hmm. like when you make a chocolate chip cookie, use almond flour, coconut sugar, a lot less sugar, and just make them a little bit smaller yeah. and a lot more chocolate. So it's very satisfying and you just want one or two. You know, when you make a bundt cake, I use a lot of almond flour, but you could be using oat flour or... Buckwheat flour mm-hmm. I use a lot. That's what I was going to say because a lot of all your recipe, baking recipes, you offer gluten-free right. alternatives. But you're right. not gluten-free at home. I'm not. I, I try to eat gluten-free. Both my daughter and I don't react very well to gluten. Okay. Like if, if a friend is using a really good fermented sourdough starter and, and good like gra- you know, grain. I mean, I know that sounds very elite, but I truly can feel it in my body. I can taste mm-hmm. it. You know, one, I'm enjoying it more because I know someone made it. But two, I react very differently to it. Like if we just go and get a slice of pizza, she and I are both kind of like, oh, that was so good. But uh." so we try to eat gluten-free. So I tested the entire book first gluten-free. But then I wanted to make sure that it would work with AP flour. Then I went back and tested the whole thing, everything again with AP flour. And I've tried almost all the recipes with like, if you don't want to use an AP uh, gluten-free all-purpose flour, Mm -hmm. I've tried like different blends as well. Like, can you make this one with oat flour? Can you make this one with buckwheat? Mm -hmm. Because I do get a lot of questions even since it came out. Mm -hmm. In fact, one of of my favorite things in the book is there's a um, special diets index in the back. When you look at it, it's like, oh, like there are like 90 recipes that are vegetarian. They're Mm -hmm. like, 70 vegan recipes, just naturally vegan because there's a lot of vegetables. And, mm-hmm. and that's really nice to know that I can offer it to people. Like I've, I've had people be like, yeah, but I'm, I'm gluten-free. And I'm like, okay, well, here are, you know, like 68 recipes. Yeah. I don't know if that's the exact number, but that you can, you can either are naturally gluten-free or you can make gluten-free. Mm-hmm. What I want to do is say to everybody and teach everyone who encounters my work you you don't have to be like, oh, gosh, I have high blood pressure. I have to, like, my life is going to suck after this. Yeah. <laughs> like, I have to eat such boring things. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it can be such a downer for people. And, it, and I really mm-hmm. don't feel that way. I feel like mm-hmm. these are the most delicious things I crave. They happen to be healthy, you know, and not having to go really heavy-handed with it, I think, yeah. is fun. So yeah. I like that as a culture we're all evolving mm-hmm. in that direction. Yeah. Let's talk about photography. Oh, yes. Tell us how you ended up shooting with Andrea and Marty. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know Gentle and Hires. Andrea and Marty are good friends of Aaron's as well. And they're, um, they're the wonderful photographers I felt very fortunate to work with. Actually, my very first job out of college, I studied journalism. And I ended up going to work at Glamour Magazine. And then after that, I went over to Oprah Magazine when it was like a brand new magazine. And they were very young in their career, but very, very good from the get-go. They like came out of the gate, very distinguished eye and a very beautiful vision. And I met them when I was like, you know, literally like a year out of college. And and I don't even I don't even know if they remember that, but I literally said, like, they are the best of the best. I would love to work with them more closely one day. And it was really like 15 years of me going off and doing and learning all these things. And coming back, and when I was the food director at Real Simple, we hired them all the time, and we got to work with them more closely, and I really got to become friends with them. 
And I just said I would love for you guys to shoot my new book when I do one. Um, and so we just had been talking about that. And then when my idea actually came to fruition and I started writing the proposal, I said, I'd really like to write your name in the proposal. Like, I'd like to shoot this book with them. And they're like, do it. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. So once the proposal was done, I mean, that was kind of a done deal. And it was just awesome because I've shot all of my cookbooks at home. The first one I shot partially in San Francisco and partially in New York. And then the second two I shot in our home upstate. This one, I did all the food styling. I did most of the prop styling. Andrea and I really worked together on that. Like she brought some special pieces. Mm-hmm. It was so fun. I mean, we just basically, they I came mean, to my home for two weeks. That is so good. Um, most of the really beautiful food moments, to be totally honest, were when my kids and my husband, we all went on vacation and I came home early. And I'm like, I'm going to bang out these like really pretty moments because my son is like, he, he was two at the time, he was climbing. Like, if there's food, any kind of fruit, anywhere in his sight, he's just devouring it constantly. So so my husband, my husband's from Hungary, and so the kids and, and we all went to Hungary, and then I came home a little early and shot, like, those more pristine moments. And thank God, because then the next week, the kids were home, and they came back. And I can tell every photo that they were there for and every photo they weren't for. Really, it's such a beautiful book. Thank and you congratulations. so much. Thank you so much. I love much. it. It's going to be timeless. Thank yeah. you. That's yeah. that's a beautiful compliment. And thank you guys yeah. all for being here and listening to us. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being here. Many thanks to Sarah for visiting us in Seattle and to Aaron, as always, for leading the conversation. You can get 10% off a copy of Every Day is Saturday and any other books featured on Book Larder Podcast by visiting booklarder.com and entering the code podcast at checkout. We have signed copies of many of the featured books, so be sure to get one of those while they last. And if you visit us in the shop, just mention that you heard about a book on the podcast for 10% off in-store as well. This episode was produced and edited by Abby Circatella. Our theme music was composed and performed by James Coley. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and if you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review to help others find us. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where our handle is at BookLarder. For more information about BookLarder, including author talks, cooking classes, and to join our monthly email newsletter, visit BookLarder.com. And if you find yourself in Seattle, visit us in person at 4252 Fremont Avenue North. I'm Lara Hamilton. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.